Hi there, and welcome to ABC News Live. We've got a full house here in our ABC News newsroom for a full news day. John Santucci, Serena Marshall, Mary Alice Parks. Uh, I'm Rick Klein from ABC News. We've also got Jordan Phelps and Ali Rogan joining us from the White House and Capitol Hill. But let's start with the big headline. Uh, John Santucci, this is on your beat directly. Uh, and just, just a couple of days after we hear Michael Cohen's voice in, in, a, in a recording with President Trump, one of the names that comes up in this, Alan Weis Weisselberg, comes up today in fresh reporting. You're reporting that he has been subpoenaed by the grand jury in the Southern District. Tell us why we care. Oh, uh, you care. So like scale of one to 10, we broke that scale. <laughs> we're not <laughs> even on the scale today. of All one right. to 10. We were past an 11. Yeah. Alan Weisselberg is one of the few people that worked in Trump Tower the day Trump Tower opened. He is one of the original key players in everything related to Donald Trump. Donald Trump's business, his finances, the Trump Foundation, which we know is under investigation by authorities also in New York, different though they're at the attorney general's office. But now, to bring him in under oath, we will learn things about the Trump financial record that no one knows. I mean, the only person that knows some of the dealings that he has had outside of Michael Cohen, but the whole record here that goes back for the 40-somewhat years of the Trump organization is Alan Weisselberg. And so far, it's going to be in front of a grand jury, which of course is secret. Mm -hmm. But it does give us an important clue potentially as to what the Southern District is looking at. Because sure. a lot of people said, well, Michael Cohen's involved with a lot of stuff. A lot of it could be shady mm -hmm. stuff. He's got those cab licenses, all these potential that has areas. to do with the president. Right. That's, this, though, has a lot to do with Direct the Direct line to the president. And we do have to go back to that 65-line item warrant that prosecutors in New York executed on Michael Cohen's home, his office, and his hotel room. One of the categories on there were financials. Most of that, we thought, was personal finances. But now, with this news, we're seeing this is hitting right to the heart of Donald Trump, the Trump Organization, and where that might take us, Rick. You know, it's not only just women here um, that, as we know, that's where that recording that you spoke of that came out earlier this week involving Michael Cohen and Trump alluded to, that payment to Karen McDougal, reimbursing AMI, the publishers of the National Enquirer. This could open a Pandora's box, and I really don't know where it's going to take us, but it is a wild story. I have been told by sources that the president is livid over it, extremely furious over it, because remember, Donald Trump said if Robert Mueller or any investigators went into his finances, that would be a red line. We now crossed it. And, and they are in the inner circle, bottom line. But this isn't Robert Mueller. This isn't Robert Mueller, but remember, how many times have we seen already in Robert Mueller's investigation, you know, cross-pollination of deals? So we've seen circumstances where local U.S. attorney's offices around the country, I can think of uh, one out in California that's already had a deal with them, that they would bring testimony from a case in a local jurisdiction. Remember, even though we like to think Robert Mueller is on a separate island, which he kind of is, it's an island that has a back to the Department of Justice. And this whole thing with Cohen and the Southern District did start with Mueller's office, right? Absolutely, and that's where this all began. So we're trying to figure out where this all happened. Was it the tape that triggered their interest in Alan Weisselberg? Was it something else? We're still digging on that. We do need to remember, though, the tape and the timing of this are what's fascinating. We only learned about the tape as we first reported last Friday. We heard it on Monday. That was the same day that they were all turned over to prosecutors in New York. Timing's key in all of this. Seems like things are moving. We'll let you get back to work on the phones, Thank John Santucci. Much. Thank you. Will we see his taxes? Good luck. <laughs> Good I, I, open I, question. I, I'm just going to throw I, that I, one out there. I mean, he's I think the finance guy. I think it's going to be such a different red line. I think it's going to be like jumping in front of the bus to stop them. <laughs> Will we get a tweet?
on the response? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I gave up Where's predicting Donald Trump tweets three years ago. I won't do it now. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. Uh, big day today, a deadline day. The court ordered deadline to reunify the families that were separated at the border. Uh, this was a big story just a few weeks ago. The court deadline has come and gone. And Serena Marshall, you've, you've been following this very, very closely. And the White House is claiming, that the administration is claiming that they've gotten this done. But that's really not what the numbers well, show. Well, the deadline's technically at, mi technically at midnight tonight. So they still have a few hours to get on board. And we're supposed to get new numbers from the administration at around 6 o'clock. Uh, as of right now on Tuesday, the latest numbers the government gave us was that of those nearly 2,500 children that were over the age of five and under the age of 17 that they needed to reunify, they've actually already reunified. They found 1,600 parents are eligible for unification, and of that, a thousand of them have been reunified. But there's an apples and oranges thing going on here, Rick. You have 1,600 parents who are eligible for unification, but 2,500 children. Do we know if one parent is to one child or are there two parents to a single child or two children to a single parent? They're not giving us those consistent data points. And so whether or not the rest of those children will be reunified, whether they're eligible for unification, they've also told us 450 parents were deported without their children already. How will they reunify those families that want to get back together? There are still a lot of questions. And we've also learned today the Department of Homeland Security Inspector General has opened an inquiry into to this entire policy that the uh, Department of Archives has also opened an investigation into that so-called records destruction that some outlets reported on a couple weeks ago. So this isn't going to go away even as the deadline hits tonight at midnight. To me, this is like knowing you're going to fail a test, so you try to change the grading system. <laughs> the government wasn't going to be able to meet this deadline that the court set, and so they deemed a number of these parents ineligible, kids ineligible, but that doesn't mean they're now going to be unified. Some of them are ineligible because, like you said, they've already been deported, yeah. which means the problem is only going to be harder to solve. And I want to turn to Ali Rogan, who's up on Capitol Hill and was at a protest earlier today. This has gotten a lot of, of attention on Capitol Hill. It was members of Congress who drove this to the fore. Ali, what, what are you hearing in terms of the, the acceptance of what HHS and the Trump administration is saying? They're, they're prepared to say that they've basically gotten the job done. Yeah, Rick, there was a huge protest this morning. We were there, uh, mothers, fathers with their children. Uh, they were chanting and singing nursery rhymes. They did get up, however. They were sitting in on the Senate floor, uh, the floor of the Senate Hart building, but they got up before they would have been arrested. They certainly didn't want to be arresting little children. But in terms of the action that is happening on the Senate floor, or I should say lack of action on the Senate floor on this issue, there are uh, a group of about four senators working behind closed doors on a bipartisan bill that would prevent the Trump administration from doing this if they ever decided to do it again, because obviously DHS is arguing that this is all wrapping up and we're going to reunite the families but they want to uh, make sure it doesn't happen again. They also want to send that political message. But it appears as if those talks might be uh, breaking down or at least hitting a rough point. Yesterday on the Senate floor, there was a pair of Republicans and a pair of Democrats who were seeking to pass bills that were completely on party lines as relates to this issue. Now, all of those efforts failed. But it does underscore the, the degree to which this is such a hot-button issue up here and is, uh, is so politically rife. I think we might have a soundbite of Senator Maisie Hirono speaking after a Senate Republican tried to get his bill on the floor on this issue. Take a listen. Oh, we don't have the sound. This is a... <laughs> 
This bill being offered by my colleagues on the other side of the aisle is a partisan political stunt designed to distract the American people from the crisis created by Donald Trump's zero tolerance policy. So as you heard, this is something that is uh, incredibly politically trenched. We don't know if they're going to be resolving anything anytime soon, passing any bills. Certainly it seems that if this family reunification is completed by when the Trump administration says it is, there might not be a reason for any immediate uh, legislation, but certainly this is going to continue, especially if all of those families aren't reunited, Rick. All right, Ali Rogan's going to stay on this case. And Rick, to Ali's point about the families being reunited, remember, they're being reunited, but they're still being held in detention facilities. So we're right. not going to hear Republicans or Democrats on Capitol Hill go away quietly on this issue mm. because you're holding a parent and a child in a detention facility for who knows how long until their case, many remember, claiming asylum. That can take up to three years. So are you going to be keeping these young children and their parents together for three years in detention facilities? As of right now, if the child is under five, the administration has returned to that so-called catch and release that the president hates to see happen. It's where they put an ankle monitor on the parents, release them into the interior while their asylum case is pending. But you'll still have five, six, seven, eight-year-olds being held for possibly years in a U.S. government detention. So much work that still has to be done on that. Uh, the president on the road today, guys, uh, making the case for tariffs heading to across the Midwest. He was in Iowa early today where we've been talking to farmers, ABC News. Alex Mallon is doing great reporting. You can see at abcnews.com talking to the, about the real-world impact of this. Now, he trotted out the EU president yesterday, a bit of a surprise announcement at the Rose Garden, to say that, uh, that there had been an agreement with the Europeans. And here's what he had to say uh, earlier today about uh, trade with Europe. We just opened up Europe for you farmers. You're not going to be too angry with Trump. There you have it. I, I think you can look didn't back. Didn't know and Europe was closed. We didn't know Rick. it was closed. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've been trading with Europe for 200 years or so, maybe a little bit longer than that. But Jordan Phelps uh, at the White House, it does seem like strategically that the White House is trying to signal something much different about tariffs than it was just a couple of days ago. Uh, it seems like the message coming out is that everything's going to be okay. He seems to have taken his foot off the gas. Yeah, it, Rick, remember it was just two days ago that the president was on Twitter tweeting, tariffs are the greatest. And then yesterday we heard him in the Rose Garden saying that really he wants to get to zero tariffs. So what's really going on here? Well, this is Trump speaking in his classic brash language, basically saying, I'm not afraid to break every China cup in this China store if it means I'm going to get that trade deal I want. So the White House, the approach they're taking is the president's using these tough approaches these tariffs as a means to get to a better deal. And they're pointing to, you know, the progress that was made yesterday. Uh, they're crediting the president's tough rhetoric for, for getting us here. Maybe. You could also argue that the president backed down. The White House would never talk about it this way, but actually twice this week. First, that rescinded Russia invitation, and then this 180 on trade. When he was standing out there just a week after calling the EU a foe, now saying he wants to get to a zero tariff policy, tweeting pictures of getting kissed by the, the president of the, seen that of the EU. <laughs> I mean, it, it looked like a real 180. 
because politically he is getting unbelievable pressure from the Midwest. We have farmers all across the Midwest that are freaked out, terrified. They are looking at potential huge surpluses if they can't get rid of stock that's already uh, sort of sitting in their backyards. And we had Republicans really putting the hammer down on the president. And, and Ali Rogan, I'm curious, is this is this lessened any of the pressure on on the White House? The Republican senators uh, been, in recent days been saying they want more oversight on tariffs. Are they buying this? For now, they are, Rick. But the problem is that they're very aware of the fact that this president has made a lot of promises that don't end up coming true. And so I think there is very healthy skepticism that this deal with the European Union is actually going to come to fruition. They are also concerned, especially Republicans from farm states, they're concerned that the opening back up of additional trade with Europe, loosening of these uh, tariffs, uh, potentially getting more uh, uh, Europe buying our soybeans, that's not going to be enough to make up for the difference in the tariffs that have been in the trade. They're not going to make up the difference in the mm -hmm. trade war that the United States has begun with China. So the question is, does that does Europe going up in soybean purchases, does that offset the, mar the lost market in China? These Republican senators are skeptical of that. And I think until they see results and evidence that that's not going to be a problem for their farmers, they're not going to let up uh, pressure on this White House. Uh, all right, Ali Rogan, another big story out of Capitol Hill today. Uh, articles of impeachment have been filed by some members of the House Freedom Caucus against Rod Rosenstein. We talked about the Mueller investigation earlier. He's the deputy attorney general. He is in charge of overseeing this investigation. Uh, we've been hearing rumblings about something like this for quite a t uh, quite some time now. This is happening right before a congressional recess. Uh, I, I, I want to play, though, what Paul Ryan's response was to this, because I think it's pretty telling. Take a look. I don't think we should be cavalier with this process or with this term. Number one. Number two, I don't think that this rises to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. So Paul Ryan, not a fan not of this maneuver. Uh, of course, Most it's House Republicans Republican. Mitch McConnell's right. not a fan of it. He's called it a silly thing to entertain or even comment on. So I, what's going on here? Well, I was struck by this number. Only 11 Republicans out of 236 there in the House signed on to this bill. Uh, this These this statement, this resolution of impeachment, we're talking about an extreme wing of the party that wanted some fireworks before summer. They're going to be gone for five weeks, a big summer recess. They wanted something to take back. These are sort of far right members of the party that enjoy kind of being a pain in the side. And intriguing here, the 11 out of 236, Mary Alice's number. But uh, I, I wonder where President Trump would come down on this one, Jordan Phelps. <laughs> we haven't seen a tweet yet from the president, but he's no great fan of Rod Rosenstein or his boss, Jeff Sessions. No, but we do know that the president has demonstrated a bit more restraint than he has in times past as it relates to talking about the special counsel. No doubt the president has a private opinion on this one, but he hasn't shared it publicly. Now, Counselor Kellyanne Conway did tell us this morning she wouldn't offer a direct opinion on what the White House thinks about this, but she said ultimately what the president wants is transparency. Now, an important thing to remember here is even though this might not be a serious proposal, it's not expected to go anywhere. This has been introduced by some of the president's most ardent allies in Congress. Uh, and so this does have the effect, perhaps, uh, in the public sphere of further souring public opinion among the president's supporters about Rod Rosenstein, who, of course, oversees the special counsel's uh, inquiry. Uh, and this White House, we well know, wants that to go away. But the president knows he's in a tough spot that he can't just fire Rod Rosenstein and not face tremendous political backlash.
So there you All have right. it. And, and one, oh. well, I was just going to say, one of, those, one of those ardent supporters who was a part of this move wants to be the next Speaker of the House. Yeah. Not, maybe not a mistake, and, but today's the day for Jim Jordan. Yeah, and Attorney General Jeff Sessions also backed Rod Rosenstein, which we can't forget. He did come to his defense and, and put his foot down on that as well. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you to Jordan Phelps and Ali Rogan. Before we wind down here today, a presidential tweet that, man, I, I, I got to say, it's one of these. I, I'm on Twitter a lot and I didn't know what he was talking about here. So I, I had to, to look this it. one up. But the president uh, came out against shadow banning. And um, we're going to have to unpack this a little bit for our audience Should here. Should we like read the Wikipedia we page? Have exactly. We'll have to figure this one out. So, so the backstory on this is that there's a word going around in some conservative right-wing circles that Twitter has been taking steps to uh, muzzle the visibility of some prominent Republicans. Uh, not quite as simple as the president would suggest that it is. In fact, it's nowhere near that level. But Ronald Romney McDaniel, the RNC chair, among those that, according to Vice News, has been uh, shadow banned under new policies put in place by Twitter to try to combat Russian trolls. But not banned. Not ba they just don't come so up in searches is, is what this new algorithm has done. And the reason they don't come up in searches is that they have identified through this algorithm troll accounts and certain metrics in order to weed out those troll accounts. Some of those metrics are if you haven't verified your email address, the frequency of responses to certain people, who you interact with on Twitter. And as a result of this algorithm, they were finding certain Republicans were kind of lumped into that. Uh, was it because they were interacting with trolls? Possibly. Did they know they were trolls? Probably not. But it's just interesting on how that whole thing came full circle. And it's, and it's, a, long, it's a long-standing right-wing thing out there that, that, that tech companies are trying to muzzle their voices, whether that's Facebook or Twitter. Reddit. That everyone is. Yeah. That everyone is out to get uh, this president and Republicans. That's right. Feeds into that narrative without any proof for a change. <laughs> All right, that does it for this edition of The Briefing Room for Serena Thanks Marshall for that and Mary Alice Parks. <laughs> Still don't quite I'm get Rick it. Klein. We'll see you next time here at ABC News Live.